All right, as we begin, uh, as we begin Advent, uh, we start, uh, the first week of Advent is always a little bit strange. And actually, as, as I was preparing for this strange text this week, I thought of a story that happened with myself and my four-year-old Chapman uh, the week of Halloween, actually. So it, it, one of my kind of family jobs, you end up kind of splitting up family jobs, I guess. I, I do the Sam's Club runs. And when I can, I try to take the kids with me. And uh, that's not always an easy thing, and they're not always excited about going. But I talked Chapman into going with me, my four-year-old, on the Sam's Club run. And he was actually excited about going, which is not typical. But the reason why he was excited is because of the Halloween decorations at Sam's Club. Now, for a four-year-old, um, Chapman leaned into Halloween this year uh, to the point that he uh, wore costumes for approximately three and a half weeks beforehand and is still wearing costumes today as part of his Advent Spider-Man celebration. But not just the costume thing that he really likes, he also is, unlike my daughter when she was his age, he kind of liked the whole uh, dark, creepy Halloween vibe. In fact, he started getting really into things that were creepy. That was his favorite word for a few weeks. Oh, that's creepy. And oh, that, look at that, Dad, that's creepy. And, and he was excited about going to Sam's Club because he wanted to see the creepy things. And, and what they have at Sam's Club, if you haven't been in there, they tend to decorate for the season. And they have like the big blow-up things and these big giant skeletons and a couple of things that are honestly... I feel like should frighten a four-year-old, but he was really excited about them, and he wanted to go see the creepy things, and that was my excuse for getting him in the car and going. So we were heading that way. He was pumped to go see all the creepy stuff. Uh, couldn't stop talking about it when we got out of the car, when I put him into the uh, shopping cart that I retrieved from the parking lot, because I'm a good human being, and that's where I get my shopping carts, uh, so they don't have to bring them in. Uh, I'm not saying you have to, just let the Lord lead, but... Um, <laughs> But, uh, so he's talking about, we're going we're to see the creepy stuff, we're going to see the creepy stuff. And, and we walked in, again, it was probably five or six days before Halloween, and uh, show our card to show we're legal, uh, we are, we're club members. And, uh, and so we went in, and as we went in, uh, Chavin was deeply disappointed in whoever's in charge of decorating at Sam's Club, because they had already switched over to Christmas stuff. Ha- I know, Halloween week. It's bad enough to sing some Christmas songs during Advent, which we do but, I mean, they switched over to Christmas. You've never seen a four-year-old more disappointed to see Santa Claus in his entire life. I mean, he just, he, Dad, where's, where's the, he's not creepy. Where's the creepy things? He's not creepy. And I, and I tried to cheer him up. I was like, honestly, Santa is a little creepy if you think about it. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's kind of watching you all the time. He sneaks in your house at night and eats your cookies. I mean, he's a, he's a little creepy if you think about it. Um, you know, that, that initial feeling that kids have when you try to do pictures with Santa where they're a little unsure that's a healthy, that's a healthy vibe. I mean, I kind of, we, maybe we should encourage that in kids. He was very upset because he, uh, it was not time for sleigh bells. It was time for moans and groans and screams. It was creepy season and they had the nerve to move us into Christmas. And it's basically the exact opposite problem I have. Every three years when this lectionary cycle comes around again and we get Mark's gospel kicking off uh, the Advent season. As opposed to my son, very disappointed because Christmas was sneaking in to creepy season. Uh, We are all preparing. We've got the trees up. We're ready to hear uh, Mariah Carey sing 75 times a day, every day, it feels like. Uh, We're ready for the Christmas season. But instead, Mark brings out the creepy stuff. All right? Mark brings out the moans and the groans and the screams. Uh, Mark 
brings us an apocalypse. In fact, it's called the little apocalypse in, in the Gospels uh, of Mark in chapter 13. In December, this is how we're supposed to start the Advent season. And again, as you heard earlier, the first week of Advent is set aside for this idea of prophecy. And prophecy kind of takes on some of these feelings sometimes. So we're going to read through Mark 13, 24 through 37. It'll be on the screen, or you can open up the few Bibles in front of you. And I'll go ahead and tell you, it's going to feel very, very much like this is not what we should be talking about with a Christmas tree in the room. But bear with me, and let's, let's push our way through it and see if we get, uh, get to something here at the end. It says this, Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the heaven, and the power in the heavens will be shaken. Just hear those sleigh bells. Okay. <laughs> then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. See, so also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be aware. Keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch, therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. All right, so Mark's little apocalypse here is a terrifying way to start the Advent season, at least uh, particularly for a lot of us who are taught to read this kind of scripture, apocalyptic literature is called, to read this kind of scripture uh, through the lens of bad Kirk Cameron movies that a lot of us were brought up on, or the Left Behind series, or these kind of things. We tend to read these passages like the bad omens of an expert fortune teller like a witch gazing into a crystal ball and whispering portends of doom, right? We read it creepy, to quote Chapman. It is not hard to read this as bad news instead of good news through such a lens, like a threat and not a comfort. It's like decorating the tree, having your hot chocolate, and putting on a Chucky movie instead of Elf. But we would do well to remember the context of those who first read these words of Jesus. Now, Jesus spoke these words not long before his death, and when he spoke these words, hopes were still very high. The temple was in full swing. Uh, Jewish folks had been waiting a long time for the Messiah and for salvation, and, and, and there was a lot of anticipation about what might be happening. But by the time Mark is recorded and then read for the first time long after Jesus' death, the worst case scenario has already happened for that audience. For those originally reading these words, the apocalypse 
has already happened. Those who thought that God would fight for them against Rome, who would help overthrow Rome, started a fight in Jerusalem. And about A.D. 70, 35, 40 years after Jesus was crucified, when when these zealous Jews tried to take over Jerusalem and overthrow the, the kingdom of Rome, which turned out to be a terrible idea, but they thought God was on their side, and so they tried, and everyone got absolutely brutalized by the Roman response. The largest army the world had ever known squashed it and didn't just rout them, but humiliated them and destroyed them. It's hard to oversell how dark this defeat was for the people who were originally hearing the story. Uh, I will not go into details that they have recorded in history books over what happened in Jerusalem during that time. It is as dark as you can possibly imagine. So the epicenter for these people, for generations, the epicenter of their religious, cultural, and political hopes was decimated before their very eyes, turned to dust. The stench of death and destruction was still thick in their nose, still numbing their minds. It was an enormous amount of physical death, an enormous amount of psychological trauma, the kind of things that human beings don't just bounce back from once they've seen it or experienced it. Maybe we could imagine working in one of the Twin Towers and barely getting out while all of your employees and friends were still inside and then watching it fall. That may be some close kind of comparison that we can imagine from our history, but that does not even come close to comparing correctly. So for those, uh, the world for these people had broken underneath their feet, the sky had fallen, the stars had crashed to the earth. Everything that they believed in, waited for, loved, came crashing down around them. It was as bad as you can imagine. So for those first reading Jesus' words here in Mark, unlike for us, the apocalypse is not a future event we think about and get scared of. The apocalypse is something they are still suffering from. It's not a threat about what could one day happen to their world. It is a description of their most recent trauma, the thing that still painfully challenges their hope and their faith in the God that they thought was on their side. Notice that today's text, as we're reading, starts with, quote, after the suffering, or depending on your translation, after the destruction. That's what all these words are for, right? Jesus has just spent a lot of time actually talking about and describing the temple that would be torn down, not one rock remaining on another, something that was been inconceivable to those hearing him say those words at first. So as foreboding and creepy as this text sounds to us, it is written as a text of hope to those who cannot find any. To those in this post-apocalyptic landscape of hopelessness, this teaching is meant to let them know that things will not always be this way. So to then use this teaching from our perspective thousands of years later, uh, to, read, to use this teaching from Jesus to cause us and other people to fear about their future with God would be to miss the point entirely. After this destruction, after this suffering, Jesus is telling people to watch out, not watch out because bad things are coming. No, Jesus is telling the desolate to keep their eyes open and their, head, their heads up because salvation is on the way. 
And what could be more Adventy than that? Most that is said about, uh, in the way of apocalyptic literature, most of the times the way we look at it and the way it's used, it's been used for you, I'm sure, and for me growing up, it was used as a tool of fear. God is coming back was more of a threat than a promise. In fact, some of you may have even had one of those where you forgot to change your clocks pre-cell phone on time change Sunday, and then you showed up and no one was at church, and you thought the rapture had happened and you were left behind. Anyone else have that? It happened to us one time. I mean, my mom was still there, so I felt pretty confident things were okay because I wasn't, was totally unsure of myself, but I'm pretty sure she was going. But it was this kind of threat that loomed over us, trying to scare people into repentance or to behaving or whatever. That is not the point. That is never what apocalyptic literature, Revelation, Daniel, here, that's never what it's supposed to be about. That's not how we're supposed to think about the end of things. I do think Jesus tried to teach a lesson that does still apply to us, though, even though we are not in their situation. If you draw the lens out far enough, Christ is reminding us of the truth that none of this lasts forever. None of this lasts forever. Now, that truth reads differently depending on where you are standing. If I say to you, this is going to end, does that sound like more of a threat or a promise? Depends on what I'm talking about, right? This is going to end. If I'm referring to the sermon, that probably sounds more like a promise than a threat to you. If you're talking to me about kidney stones, definite promise. One day this will end, right? If you are struggling right now or suffering in some way, or you have some loss or you're in some dark night of the soul, that sounds like a promise to you. It will not always end be like this, like those standing in the ruins of Jerusalem with their world crumbled around their feet, this sounds like a promise. For some of you, no sweeter words could be uttered than this too shall pass. However, from another perspective, those are very disturbing words. This is going to end. If I'm in the middle of good things, that feels more like a threat. This is going to end. You mean my kids won't stay little and cute like this forever? That feels like more of a threat than a promise. You mean the easy and carefree health of my youth is only temporary and doesn't last forever? That feels like a threat. You mean that this time between presidential elections is about to end? That's a definite threat (laughs) to all of our sanity. What if I don't want this to pass? We've all been in that season of life. You know, there's often when I, we try to remind ourselves in, in our house, and, and I'll try to say, like, don't forget, like, we're living in the good old days right now, right? I mean, there's, there's going to be a time when I look back on the good old days of now, as hard as they sometimes feel, right? There's some things that I don't want to go away, if I'm honest with you. That feels more like a threat than a promise. The fact that none of this lasts lands very differently at different times in our life. When our lives are going the way we had hoped, when we have the illusion of control and certainty, then there's nothing more disturbing than the promise of change. When everything, but when everything you have hoped for and dreamed for lies tattered around your feet, it might be the only peace you find. This is the nature of Christ's good news in general. 
It's a comfort for the disturbed, and it's a disturbance for the comfortable. Well, great, Mike. Now I feel very cheery and happy. Thanks for starting off my Advent with a little bit of Ash Wednesday. So what is the point of all this? As Christ clearly says, and I think we should pay attention to, even though we are not in the rubbles of our Jerusalem necessarily, you might be personally, but we as a culture right now are not in that way. As Christ clearly says, the point of all this is stay awake. I think the point is to live today with tomorrow in mind. To understand things for what they are. To understand that things will not always stay this way. Good or bad, they will not always stay this way. To stay alert. Live today with tomorrow in mind. To stay awake to what is true. Even when it is not necessarily comfortable or when it sounds too good to be believed. God is in the business of setting things to rights. And to be a people of faith is to live with that future fact as a present reality. And we don't pretend to know exactly what will happen or when it will happen. We aren't obsessed with reading the tea leaves or drawing up maps of future details. In fact, the scripture makes very clear the sun doesn't even know these things, right? We can't know these things. And that's more about control than it is about faith. No, we live now. We live now, though, with tomorrow in mind. We work and live now knowing how this story ends. We are prepared for what is to come because we already live with it as a reality. Think back to last week's parable from Matthew 25 that we studied. Last week's parable, Jesus describes the great sorting of things at the end of time, the sheep and the goats, remember all that? No one knew it was coming. No one knew when they had seen Jesus or seen God and, and left him hungry or fed him or any of those things. But as you think back on that parable, it's not just, for those sheep, it's not just that one day they believe things will be better and one day there will be no hunger and no thirst or no loneliness. No, Christ's flock are those who lived here and now by leaning into that future reality. They fed their food to the hungry. They took their clothes and gave it to those without any. They used their limited time to visit the lonely and imprisoned. They leaned into the future reality in their present world. They were actively preparing, even though they didn't realize it, they were actively preparing for the world that was to come. They were ready to join Christ when Christ showed up. That is what this is talking about. They faithfully lived like the last were already first, like God was among the least of these. They lived like the creator of all things cares first and foremost about our love for one another. That is the future reality that we have faith in and we live into now. That is what is most true, no matter how good or bad things may feel right here and now in our present circumstance. And that is what Advent is all about. In a world that tries to distract us with both the beautiful and the wonderful and the lovely and the awful and the terrible, we're reminded today to remember, to stay awake, to remember what actually lasts, to remember where we are actually going, to look forward to the good and disruptive truth that this does not stay the same. 
to keep awake towards what God is doing now and will accomplish when all is said and done. And then we, in this world, live into the world that is to come. We, in this world, live as the first fruits of the harvest that is coming so that the rest of the world, through us, might begin to taste the comforting and disturbing world that is to come. So perk up. Open your eyes and keep your heads up. Stay awake to the world that is to come and is already being built among us because there is good news. A better world is coming. Let's pray. God, we are, we are grateful. We are grateful that you are not a creator who made the cosmos, made this world, separated the water from the land and created the animals and the human beings and then just left it to be. That you are not just a God who is above us, that you are a God who was with us and that you are a God who is still within us. That you are a God who is actively working to set things right. So Lord, this Advent season, we ask that you help to keep us awake. May we see this world for what it is. May we see this world in light of the world that you are building. God, may we take comfort in the fact that you are setting things right and that things will not always stay this way. Even the good tastes we have now are just a foretaste of what is to come. And God, may we be a people who live into tomorrow, today, so that this broken world might get a taste of your redemption. Lord, we do love you. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.